All right. I got some good news today and I'm happy about it. I'm glad. So you're going to do the intro? Yes. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Chronicling Narnia, a podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter in the wrong book order, but we've uh, we've forgiven each other for that. Wait, wait. <laughs> I thought this was our first record of Florida Fortnightly, our uh, every two-week Florida news and events podcast. <laughs> no. No, it's oh. not. Okay, let me get my other notes then. <laughs> I thought I thought you just said you finished reading the chapter. What chapter were you reading? Um, some sort of modern Florida history book. I don't know. I didn't. I'm bad at improv. I caught you. you yes, did. and <laughs> it's just yes, and uh-huh. just so yes I was trying. And. Okay. Anyway, continue. In this episode, we are discussing chapter three of the book Prince Caspian. This chapter is titled "The Dwarf." It's not about a star, from what I understand. And today we will be discussing this chapter. Uh, who are we? Well, of course, I am a, a little bundled dwarf, also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I'm one of the old Narnians. All right. Also known as Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Welcome, audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we begin our <laughs> Glad podcast, you guys could join us here today. I'm so glad you could join us. <laughs> Uh, As we um, go through the chapter, we uh, individually select about five sentences each um, in order to attempt to create a summary of the chapter so that y'all are on the same page as us in the event that you didn't read the book. Um, So my five-sentence summary is about a normal length. Your five-sentence summary looks a little longer than usual for you. or Well, one of those is I redid it. So Yeah. We'll see if I can do it in the correct order. All right. So you want to go ahead and start with our summaries so we know where we're at? or Is that what we do? I think so. Sure, I'm down. All right, go for it. All right. This is mine. And now, round that point, there came into sight a boat. Peter now saw that it was really alive and was in fact a dwarf, bound hand and foot but struggling as hard as he could. Next moment, he heard a twang just beside his ear, and all at once the soldier threw up his arms, dropping the dwarf into the bottom of the boat and fell over into the water. Oh, I'm a dangerous criminal, I am, said the dwarf cheerfully. So the dwarf settled down and told his tale. There you go. Very nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. You included a lot more detail about the meeting than I did. Eh, I don't eh, yeah. Well, we'll I get to that. You haven't but, heard mine yet. Yeah, so go ahead. You can't really make a value judgment on that, can I you? I was reading over your shoulder the entire time you were writing. Oh, where are you? Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> when they had drunk from the well and splashed their faces, they all went down the stream again to the shore and stared at the channel which divided them from the mainland. And now, round that point, there came into sight a boat. The children drew back from the beach into the wood and watched without moving a finger. When at last the dwarf was free, he sat up, rubbed his arms and legs, and exclaimed, Well, whatever they say, you don't feel like ghosts. First of all, I'm a messenger of King Caspian's. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my summary, five sentences about what happened in this chapter. This chapter really felt like one we should just combine with the next chapter, since this entire chapter <sighs> is just, here's the dwarf that they met, and they had some fish. And then the next chapter is called, The Dwarf Tells of Prince Caspian. Yes, and since this chapter literally ends with the words, like, it follows, uh-huh. like the, he said the following. Yeah. And then begins the next chapter. Like, it's very, like... Well, that was a thought too late for that now. (laughs) We've already formatted for this one. All right. Well, let's just do, like, 15 minutes on this one and then go read the other chapter and come back, right? If you really want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beards and bedsteads, Chris. That's apparently some sort of dwarf exclamation or curse or something. Uh, Smells like ghosts. Mm -hmm. Stars and stones. Um... (laughs) So it really sucks 
when you have to like go to bed after only having eaten apples for dinner and then you have to wake up in the morning and just have apples for breakfast. I, you know, I've experienced this uh, on two separate occasions. Can't agree. Have you really? No. Okay. I was, <laughs> was going to say, I don't know as much about your life as I thought I did, apparently. I have gone um, to bed with only eating apples for dinner and I have also only eaten apples for breakfast, but there's something about apples that just leaves a hollow feeling in your stomach. Mm-hmm. Like they're tasty. They're good. But if you're eating it to eat it, it's like that was only like 60 calories, but it looked and felt and tasted like 140. So why am I not? Why am yeah. I not sated? And why does my stomach just feel so hollow inside? Yeah. It's like, wake me up inside. <laughs> wake me up. Um, so Can't wake up. The, the kids spend the night in the castle. They get up next morning. Also have apples for breakfast. You know, kind of awful. Uh, and then they're just like, all right, this breakfast is so terrible. We need to get off the island. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> but it was go a, what, what did Lucy call it? A delightful day? It's a, it was a glorious morning. A glorious morning. But other than that, there was nothing nice to say about yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and they decide they need to get the heck off the island. Yep. At no point do we ever really establish what the distance of this channel is, like how far it is across. Like they can very easily see the mainland on the other side. But we don't know if this is like a hundred feet or like half a mile. We yeah. don't like it's 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 far enough that Edmund, who couldn't do two lengths in the pool, would probably not make it all the way across very yes. easily, if at all. And apparently, Lucy just can't swim at all. Yep. Or know. can she? Because we have this conversation. <laughs> yes, I was I was ready to <sighs> dig into this conversation with you since I have well prepared you for this issue of going back and forth about whether or not the kids are kids or adults yes that Um, this is presented in this chapter very specifically yeah and so they talk about you know when they were still have the skills we had yeah when they were kings and queens and they you know had all these experiences and they could swim and ride and shoot and all this kind of stuff though apparently like susan could do most of this stuff before becoming queen in the first place she's won medals at school for swimming after all but it does seem like that's like a more recent thing but also like susan just pulls out the bow and shoots and does and doesn't want anyone to think that she could have missed at such a close range yeah she wasn't shooting you know and she makes a she makes an arrow shot you referenced in your summary mm-hmm. and we'll get to that later but like she clearly still has some amount of skill or is it just the magical bow that was yeah. given to her that does not easily miss who knows uh, was I mean, susan ever actually a good archer did she just have a magic bow it says she's a good archer and a good swimmer in here spear and magic helmet uh but this is it's the conversation that they have which i think is interesting uh and they discuss whether the skills they had learned as kings and queens you know carried over which i don't see why they wouldn't like if they remember everything about it like but skill is obviously mostly... they didn't carry over back to england Otherwise, they wouldn't have question about whether or not they could ride or swim here because... Have they tried in England? I mean, it's been a year and they're yeah. like, Lucy's not a good swimmer. And Peter can't yeah. do... Or, and Edmund can't do two laps in the pool. Which is interesting because, like, I mean, what is what is skill besides, like, memory and repetition and, like, muscle memory and just knowing how to do something well I mean, and efficiently? That said, though, they may not have the muscle memory. I mean, like, even mm-hmm. you joked that Edmund was this tubby, fat kid who was like, I'll, I'll betray my family for candy. Mm-hmm. And then even here, you've referenced the fact that he's, like, all about the food and the sandwiches. <laughs> and sandwiches? And what about those sandwiches? Uh-huh. Um, and so perhaps he was a, a 25-year-old man who just went back into a chubby 12-year-old spot <laughs> or a chubby 8 Nine, ten, ten year old spotty. How old, how old is? Yeah, so we established know. that he's like ten years old and yeah, just like jumped that. back into a ten year old's body. Like, if you don't actually make a point of going and teaching that body all of the skills and building up the muscle memory and creating, like, as a ten year old, are you going to be able to do the things that you could do as a twenty five year old? Yeah. So then, would there be a division between like mental skills and physical skills, like? For instance, swimming versus, like, I don't know if they got really good at chess during, like... Possibly. Maybe. And you could you could keep the mental skills but lose the physical ones or some kind of... I mean, like, the knowledge of how to do something as opposed to the skill to actually perform the task are, are mm. different in many cases when it comes to, like, oh, I know how to ride a bike. Yeah. Oh, I know how to climb a mountain. Mm-hmm. Can I do it? No. You yeah. know? 
can I ride a bike? Yeah. After about two minutes of of retraining my body on balance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they bicker about this for Bennett. And then Edmund figures out the entire thing. uh, Which... Everything. Everything. All of it. Edmund has this... Aslan's Jesus. (laughs) Aslan... (laughs) Edmund just has this moment of becoming like, you know, the genius loci of the universe and has a this brief brief femtosecond window of having all knowledge pass through his brain at once and <laughs> figures out like you know the structure behind existence uh yes, and then he realizes is. something that i guess everybody should have come to the conclusion of last chapter and they're all dumb for not doing that and he was just like hey you know how we're trying to figure out that you know why everything seems so old and it seems like hundreds of years since we've been here hey because we've done this before and we spent 30 years in Narnia, and we went back, and nothing changed. So obviously, the time isn't the same, and the passage of time isn't the same from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's shocked by this, and Susan's just like, oh, I think I'm beginning to understand. And Peter's just like, by Jove, Ed, I think you've got it. Like I, He's got it! Uh-huh. Like, what, what I feel like is a very obvious, I don't know, maybe yes, to me. Yes, but it's obvious to you because you've experienced this kind of... Um, quantum temporal <laughs> differential in fiction mm-hmm. where there are different times like even you've referenced movies in the last two days that have this presented as a key factor of them mm-hmm. like um interstellar and things like that like there's spoilers well i mean like <laughs> the time difference based on gravity alone like uh-huh. and things like that so the way that that is scientifically portrayed in sci-fi and other fiction and things like that. Like, you are very familiar with this idea. Maybe these four kids have never read a book in which time is relatively passing between two different places. Because I can't think of anything that these kids would have read that had, you know, much Mm -hmm. to do with time traveling in a different speed other than, you know, like a Christmas carol where he spends like hours and hours interacting with people and angels yeah. and ghosts and or what are the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future and yeah. then wakes up in the morning and it's only been one night. Yeah. Like that's the most. I mean, they probably they could have read The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. That would have been released before then. Um, but does that have time traveling at a different speed? For different people because like yeah i don't believe so going backward and forward in time is one thing and presenting the idea of time as fluid is different mm-hmm. from actually saying hey i've been here yeah for this amount of time no time passed at home also lewis has got to explain this to people who are reading it for the first time who are just like how <laughs> did this happen because it doesn't make sense without yeah. this being something that already exists within your knowledge maybe, as an idea. Maybe I'm judging them unfairly for that. Um, yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. Uh, Can confirm. <laughs> cool. Um, and then Lucy says something really dumb, and like, <laughs> so they establish, oh yeah, it doesn't make it, it. You know, it makes perfect sense that we've been gone for hundreds of years, and that's why Caraparavel's in ruins, and et cetera, et cetera. And then Lucy's like. Oh, how excited everyone will be able to see us. <laughs> everyone <laughs> that we knew and loved who's dead. Yeah, and, and I was surprised that Peter wasn't just like, hey, Lucy, by the way, no, they well, all dead. Um, they got interrupted. <coughs> yeah. No one had the chance to respond to her. They just immediately <clears throat> hushed her when she started talking about that. Yeah. Um, obviously, except for Tumnus, he's immortal. Um, but. What about Lasarlene? The Tisrock, may he live forever. Probably the Tisrock. He's still kicking around somewhere. Yeah. yeah. He might have sure. lost some weight by now. <laughs> um, so they get interrupted, as you said, uh, and they see something. They hear something, and they're standing on the shore, and they see a boat. They see a boat. That's coming. boat? Mm-hmm. And the boat's really interesting if... Uh, but we'll get into that later. What, so you know, what, this boat being a rowboat specifically yes. has established a, like a maximum size of this channel mm-hmm. because it's something that people comfortably could take a rowboat across. Yes. Uh, a two-person rowboat. Yeah. Fun little two-person fun little two-person rowboat comes uh, kind of down the river coming across the channel to the island. And there's these two guys in it 
Both wearing weird metal helmets. Soldiers. Soldiers, obviously. One of them is, refers to the other as corporal. Which is, you know, intriguing because that's, I feel like, a, a more modern military structure. This mm-hmm. is also 1,300 years uh, past from the time of the kings and queens yes. that we know mm-hmm. in Narnia. So there could there would definitely have been military developments over that time, what they may or may not look like from our perspective, is going to be different, but yeah, there is, I mean, there's room for changes in military structure, so regardless of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so obviously there's there's some kind of change going on, uh, and they have some sort of bundle. They've got something wriggling around the bottom of the boat, and they're talking about uh, killing him. Yep, tying a rock to him and throwing him in the water. But as long as he's tied up, well, we didn't bring a rock. <laughs> And as long as he's <laughs> tied up, he's not going to get away. Don't forget to bring a rock when you're trying to drown your dwarf. <laughs> um, you cannot sign off with that. <laughs> uh, and so they see this happening, and, you know, we don't we don't know anything about what the deal is here. We get introduced to a new character. Uh, one apparently is Garn, which... Garn! Which I looked up and doesn't really have any meaning other than being a German surname. Okay. Apparently not a common first name, but these are these are future Narnian Germans. Maybe. Uh, possibly. Um, we're not getting into baseless speculation yet, sorry. So, <laughs> it's at the end of the show. Uh, and then Susan just, just, just does some fly, stuff. Let's fly an arrow. She just has as a moment. As soon as they talk about drowning someone, she just lets fly an arrow. And I feel like this is the first time since we've been introduced to Susan that she just does something without like endlessly talking about it or getting other people's opinions or weighing pros and cons first. I would definitely agree with that. And she, she just, just like, instinctively fires that arrow. Yeah, like I was surprised, I was genuinely surprised by this moment because I was like, this is not Susan's character. Mm-hmm. And Peter looks far. at her and she is white. <laughs> so she's clearly like nervous, but also has already started to string up another arrow. Yeah. And she like plinks an arrow off the side of this soldier's head. Yep. And they get freaked out, and dude is just like, nope, heading out, I'm gonna jump off the side of the boat, drop the dwarf, his friend doesn't even have to get hit with an arrow, and just takes off running at the same time, yep. which as we find out later, it's apparently because, like, these woods is haunted, Yep. and you know, that's the, ghosts. that's the surest sign there's a ghost about if you get hit with an arrow. Yeah, if you get hit they... with a physical object <laughs> yep. that is likely to fly from someone's physical hands. Yep. It's not like... <laughs> That's how you know there's ghosts. It's not like a frozen turkey <laughs> fell out of the sky next to you on the boat. Like, it's just <laughs> an arrow got shot at you from the woods. Yep. Uh, that's the thing, and Peter immediately... But also, like, whether or not they're running from ghosts, if an arrow just shot at you out of the woods and you're in a boat, like, you yeah. don't exactly have a strategic option except jump in the water in the side of the boat that will put the boat between you and the shooter. And they didn't even bring any rocks. Yep. So they couldn't throw a rock back. Yeah. Uh, and then Peter is immediately like, whatever, there's some dude in there, who cares, we need to get the boat. Gotta this get the boat our, before yeah. it drifts. Gotta, he jumps in, goes grab the With boat. Susan. They both jump in in their full clothes mm-hmm. and go get the boat. Which, don't know if you've ever tried to swim like fully dressed. It is. It's difficult. It is a problem. They're skilled swimmers, though. Yeah, apparently. Just not Edmund. And <laughs> They're too young. Um, so they bring the boat back. They get the dwarf out, cut him out of the bonds, and They I, don't use Peter's sword, though. They do not use Peter's. Gosh. Because you would have to, well, it would be sharper than Edmund's pocket knife, which yeah. they did use. I mean, you would have to hold the blade but oh, at no. the hilt. This is one of those weird instances where, like, C.S. Lewis is answering questions that nobody asked in the first place. Like the whole magician's <laughs> nephew book? Yeah. Like, it, it, you rescue the dwarf, you're cutting him out of his bonds with a pocket knife, you can say that. I don't think anybody would be reading that and be like, why isn't Peter using his sword to cut the dwarf out? Like, that's not a question that you come up with when you're reading that passage. And it's just like, this feels like one of those things where Lewis was writing it and being like, well, Peter has a sword. Why shouldn't he? Oh, I better explain why I said this instead of him using the sword. I don't know. But it was a that was a really weird cut in uh, for Lewis there. I think it's also really weird that Peter's sword would be sharp. Like, it's a magic sword. It, it is a magic sh- sword, and that's the only reason that it would be sharp, because, like, a sword that's actually been used in combat is beat up and doesn't maintain an edge unless you are very, very attentive to maintaining an edge on it. 
Like, huh. it's it's not just about cleaning your sword. Like, you're... <laughs> Gotta wipe your sword and also and also hone the edge and make sure that it is maintained in a way that isn't gonna. I mean, he's he's a king. He's he's got guys for that. Yes, like... but like they stored that sword for a thousand years and then yeah. he found it again and it hasn't like magic. I know. <laughs> um, I'd like to wavy magic. And this is one of those times where we have to share with the listeners that we need to post a thing on Instagram. Uh, one of the pieces of art in my copy of the book shows this dwarf being cut out and he he's an interesting looking fella in my artwork and when i first saw him i thought he looked very much more like i don't know some sort of leprechaun or hobgoblin yeah because this is that's the (laughs) that's the chapter art for mine that's same Same chapter art uh but yeah he's a he's a shifty looking guy he's got like an earring and he's got some sort of like pirate hat with a buckle on it uh look little pointy shoes uh yeah, he looks he looks pretty shifty, and like I entirely believe he's some kind of criminal. <laughs> um, but then he gets rescued and he comes out, and the first thing this dwarf says is, "Well, whatever you say, you don't feel like ghosts." Um, and so the dwarf goes on to explain that apparently, apparently, why the two guys in the boat took off so fast is that these woods it's supposed to be haunted. Um, yep, and um, he also points out that it might be a problem that those two guys ran off, but also says maybe for their own benefit they won't say anything because ghosts mm-hmm. and because they didn't kill the dwarf. Yeah. But um, So I'd like to pause here and get into some what I hope is symbolism. And, <laughs> and what I mean is there's some really good symbolism in this chapter and I'll be really disappointed if this wasn't intentional by Lewis. Obviously, I will never know. But we have this imagery of the dwarf being on the boat, being rowed across the river to this place that's haunted. And I immediately thought, you know, this is the river Styx. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, these are the boatmen rowing the damned man across the river to the land of ghosts. And, like, there's this very clear symbology here. Symbol. It's not a word. This very clear symbolism here. And I wanted to dwell on that for a second and talk about what that might mean for the Pevensies. Because are they kind of symbolically in the land of the dead? Are they symbolically dead? Because Mm -hmm. they, you know, there's going to be this thing that, continues throughout all of narnia that says once a king and queen in narnia always a king and queen in narnia Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that was mentioned in lion the witch in the wardrobe but that continues as a theme throughout many of the books yeah and so um we have the pevensies coming here being like oh they're going to be so happy to see us we're kings and queens but also at the same time they're physically children Mm -hmm. of kings and queens who died a thousand years ago like Mm-hmm. This is like us being really excited about like, I don't know what happened a thousand years ago, like some some king or queen from a thousand years ago being like, "Hi, I'm back." You can tell Kristen's a history major. <laughs> what what happened a thousand years ago? I, I don't know. know. I, I can tell you where English was at and its historical development at that time, but I can't tell you what the uh, political relationship between different countries was um so with that said like we also have this kind of um almost like what if along the same lines what if the pevensies are ghosts like how else how else are they going to explain that they are kings and queens of narnia when they're there in the bodies of children like a thousand years after their reign ended yeah mysteriously with their disappearance I mean, like, yeah, are I mean, they not ghosts? For all intents and purposes, they might as well be. You've also kind of taken the reveal away from my rewrite, because when I do my rewrite, my rewrite is kind of all about how uh, they are ghosts. Yeah. And then... We'll get to that later. But <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, and I obviously don't know what's going to happen in the book. I'm assuming... They get off the island at some point. I'm assuming they do that by taking the boat. And so there's going to be another, like, you know, one of these moments where, you know, they're getting on the boat. They're rowing back across the river. They're coming back into the land of the living. 
and, you know, making themselves present in the land of Narnia again. What does this dwarf symbolize, then, if he is able to be a storyteller to the dead and then come back with, like, bring back the dead? He's a medium of some kind. Okay, all right. I don't know, he's got a big pipe, maybe he's a wizard. Maybe he's a wizard with a big uh, red beard. <laughs> wizard red beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, that's... Uh, it's there's a lot of interesting stuff there uh we established in this chapter that apparently this is just where they take people who are like political dissidents or prisoners or criminals and they take them out here and leave them to die because this land is haunted in the first place well they they are um, the dwarf who is nameless at this point yes says that they take people to the ghosts, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's their punishment. And he always wondered if they just drowned them or cut their throats mm-hmm. instead of actually leaving them for any ghosts because he doesn't know if he actually thinks there are ghosts. Yeah. But he also then requires of all four kids that they confirm to him that he's not dead, that none of them are dead, that none of them are ghosts. Uh, Yeah, he does that. He's like... Really he's hard like, to I don't necessarily believe that there's ghosts. I think they might just kill people. <laughs> then he is the victim of them just trying to drown him. So he, he knows that, like, in principle, they're just bringing people here to execute them as opposed to leaving them to the whims of the ghosts. Yeah. But at the same time, some part of him believes that there might be ghosts and that he might actually be dead and that these might actually be ghosts that he's talking to and he might himself be a ghost. Yeah. Why here? Other than, like, plot convenience though why is this the place they'd bring a prisoner to i don't think it's necessarily just the island but there's obviously some symbolism here in that this is a fallen castle it's Mm -hmm. a ruin now like the dwarf doesn't even know that there was a cat like he's like oh so there there really is a castle yeah and they're like oh it's just a ruin and um but this is at the end of the river like this Caraparavel was at the mouth of the river. Yes. And so this is an area where, like, they could very easily take the river down, throw them in the ocean, and then come back. Yeah. And it might be easier to do that than to... It seems like it... I found it intriguing because it seems like a lot of effort, especially if there's, like, a war or, like, political turmoil and you're catching criminals and, like, you know, sparing two men to take their entire day to take one prisoner down and execute him miles away from where anybody else is seems like a weird choice rather than just like i think part of it's the psychological warfare though like if there is a war going on which the Mm -hmm. dwarf kind of makes it sound like there's a rebellion happening as opposed to an actual open civil war Mm -hmm. um but that said like there's very much this kind of symbolism of like we will submit you to the ghosts Mm -hmm. as punishment yeah. And we have, like, this supernatural punishment that we can enact upon you mm-hmm. as our prisoner. And, like, that's very powerful sway to hold over people if they believe that there truly are ghosts that you will, that you have the ability to go send them to. Yeah. So. And that being said, we establish in this chapter that apparently there is some sort of political situation going on. It's in the very last couple pages. We'll find out more next chapter. But there's, you know, uh, an insurrection or, like, a rebellion of some kind. And that is a very clear echo of the first time the Pepinsies come to Narnia. Yes, they, where you know, they kind of meet up with... Um, where they kind of meet up with Tumnus as this kind mm-hmm. of, like... He's, he's stuck where he's part of this secret service for the queen, but wants to be part of the Narnian freedom fighters and yeah. stuff like that and gets captured by the queen because he does disobey her. Yeah. And we create this whole, like, resistance. Yes. And they meet up with the beavers who are, yeah. like, you know, their, their own little sleeper cell of resistance agents. Oh, yeah. Uh, We've got to get you to Aslan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Pevensies only come into Narnia when there is oppression interesting thus far like I, I don't know what happens in the later books like i know this is not the last time they return there uh i believe it's, there's not because they don't they come back in the last battle um i don't want to spoil anything um <laughs> but i know for sure that in the people who come back the children who come as the center of 
Voyage of the Dawn Treader mm-hmm. is not. It does break that kind of thing. But okay. at this point, we have in Magician's Nephew, Diggory coming like at the creation moment. So there isn't really room for there to be an oppression, but, but he they bring evil brings the evil <laughs> and then has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't really line up. Then we have the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they do, I agree, come into this kind of moment of oppression as a fulfillment of a prophecy. Mm-hmm. So is there a prophecy here? Is there a prophecy that's being fulfilled by them returning? Um, it would be the next question I would ask mm-hmm. uh, to mirror the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And then we had the story following kids in narnia so we don't really have room for that with the horse and his boy to kind of find a parallel Mm -hmm. cool um yeah there's there is a lot to be said there and it's it is intriguing the way they present this political situation um i mean we're i guess we should also talk about the part of the chapter where they go on a fun little fishing trip uh, yes. So the dwarf it, says, I saw some fishing gear. He says, well, are you going to take me to breakfast? And they're like, well, there's only apples. And he goes, well, I guess <laughs> I'm going to have to take you to breakfast. Mm-hmm. I saw some fishing gear in the boat. Yeah. And what what boat comes complete without fishing gear? Obviously. Uh, so they go around the island to the not uh, shore-facing side. They got to hide the boat. Got to hide the boat. Apparently, this is a pretty well-trafficked area, or at least they're afraid of the guys running and getting, you know, help and coming back, which if they truly believe there are ghosts, I don't know how that's going to go. Like, hey, guys, come on. We got to get a squad together. There's some ghosts out there we got to take care of. (laughs) Like, I I don't think that they really need to be afraid of them coming back anytime soon. Um, But they go fishing, and they, uh, they catch some pavenders. Which I didn't look up to whether or not that's a real fish. I guess but I can do that But they're apparently now. a beautiful rainbow fish. Uh-huh. Let me let me go ahead and look that up. We can post a picture of one on our Instagram. Uh, when I type in Pavender's fish on my Google, the first response is the Chronicles of Narnia wiki. So. Yeah. I get a autocorrect for lavender. So yeah. I'm assuming not a real fish. Okay. Um, these are Narnian fish, Pavender's. They're rainbow colored Maybe they're like rainbow trout. Well, no, this is an ocean. So, whatever. They're like catching parrotfish or some kind of crazy thing like that. Um, they do that. They sit down. They have some breakfast, which they're really excited about because, you know, why have apples when you can have fish? You know? That's a catchphrase I've had for years. Hot fish out of the coals <laughs> with one pocket knife between yep. five people. It gets a little messy. But... Yeah, they got some burnt fingers, but, you know, they didn't care because they'd been up for four hours. Um. <laughs> well, I would be hungry when I'd been up for four hours, too, and had to go swim out and rescue a dwarf in a boat. Yeah, I guess that is true. Uh, and then, you know, the dwarf sparks up a pipe, size of his own arm. Like, where was he keeping that? Who knows? <laughs> they okay. let him keep his pipe. They let him keep his yeah, pipe when they like were going to take him to execute yeah, him. which is interesting. They're just like, yeah, he can hang on to that, sure. Um, and sits down, and they are going to exchange stories. Uh, and he starts telling him about this guy, Caspian, who is a king. Well, he will be a king, maybe, hopefully. Uh, maybe, hopefully. And he's joining the old Narnians. But he's not an old Narnian. He's a new Narnian, whatever that is. He's a Telmarine. Yeah, sure. He is a Telmarine. Do we? Have we established that as a thing? No. Okay, you're, you're looking at me like I'm supposed to know what that is. I'm like, <laughs> no, huh? This is not a thing that's been mentioned before, yes. but that we threw out a bunch of terms and a bunch of like political information that, you know, and is Lucy brand new. And says, it's like the War of the Roses, mm-hmm. civil wars in England in the yeah. 1400s, but it's like the War of the Roses. Something like that. Um, is this a parallel? Is this story now going to be an allegory for England and the Wars of the Roses and all of this kind of civil war and conflict, have we just, has Lewis just tipped his hand as to what the allegory of this book is? Possibly. And I know in, you know, the previous book, we were going kind of deep into the allegory of, you know, what it would mean for Narnia to be England and like, you know, the conflicts it's involved in. And we talked a little bit at the beginning of this book about, you know, this being, you know, the allegory for them going back to post-war London uh, and seeing the devastation there and dealing with life after that whole thing happens. Uh, so if we were continuing with that particular metaphor, 
what would this be? Because I feel like there there isn't really a, uh, I mean, I'm no, I'm no scholar of English history, and if somebody is listening out there who is, please feel free to correct me. I feel like post-World War II England is not a place that was involved in a lot of great conflict, at least for a while, and there's no big societal you know, shift and leadership. Shift. I don't know. Like, I would have to look more into that. I don't know enough about the history, but, you know, it'd be it'd be fun to kind of speculate about what this Narnian civil war could translate into. Or maybe it is Lewis just going historical and being like, all right, we're going to reframe the War of the Roses or something like that. Um, I mean, so. this was also written like three years after Queen Elizabeth II took leadership from George VI. Mm-hmm. who was the king throughout all of the World War II. Yeah. And so this is right around, like this is right after a transition in monarchy and leadership, and I don't know what kind of political conflict came up with that, if yeah. any, in in English society, but like that's, that's where this is coming out of, time-wise, writing political situation, leadership-wise with the monarchy. Yeah. I don't know about actual... Um, like the House of Commons and all of that. Like, I don't know about the actual, like, political powers, but the monarchy had just changed. Yeah. And Lewis really just wasn't a fan of Elizabeth. Like, <laughs> hated her. No, no, no. It's like, you know, if he knew she was still on the throne 70 years later, he'd be rolling in his grave. She's immortal. So. <laughs> I mean, you think Lewis is immortal. We had a, a suggestion for who he may be now. Oh, did we? We should cover that at some point. Yes. Uh and baseless speculation. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll do that toward the end of the episode. Uh, but yeah, they sit down. Uh, Dwarf is going to tell the story after some fish. And we're going to get into that in the next chapter. Is there anything that we didn't cover here that we should get into? I had a couple things I wanted to mention as yeah. references. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a reference for the first time that I can remember to the Pevensey's father. Susan says, father yes. says you should never swim in a place you don't know. Yeah, and I was trying really hard to remember if they referenced their parents in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but I, I don't think they did. I don't think that they did. If they did, it was like they were sent away because of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that said, like this is kind of like post-war time frame. Their father, she says present tense, he says this. So it kind of feels like maybe they didn't lose their father in the war, which mm-hmm. I can at least appreciate. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of death in war, and I think that's kind of cool. Like that, we at least have some. You know, we don't have independent confirmation, but like we have her talking about him in the present tense. So there's some good news. Yep. Uh, you had something else you wanted to? Yeah. So we had the reference to their father. We had the reference to the War of the Roses, the Pavender's fish. <clears throat> I thought I had one more. Th- I, I don't know. It smells like ghosts and beards and bedsteads. I don't know why beards <laughs> and bedsteads just stood out to me so much. I was like, what does bedsteads mean? Well, I can help with that. What does that mean? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what a bedstead is. Okay. A bedstead is apparently just another word for a bed frame. So the ex- exclamation is beards and bed frames, which is a really weird thing to say. It is a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, especially for someone who, like, took his own pipe to his own execution. Like, I'd be like, beards and pipe weed or something. Like, what? <laughs> like, okay. Who even knows? I don't know. All right. But no, that was it. Do you have any other thoughts? Uh, other than the fact that I, I hope the dwarf gets a name. I also <laughs> hope that he becomes a running character throughout this book because I already feel like he's going to be my favorite for this one. Well, he's a messenger of Prince Caspian's. Yeah. Or King Caspian. You know, he, he's, you know, a rough and tumble, like, rowdy rogue dwarf <laughs> uh, carrying right, around well, his big pipe. you owe me breakfast. And I love his character already, and I hope he stays a thing. I know he won't, because that's what these characters do, but... Well, Tumnus stayed a character. He did. But we'll see. And, you know, all that jazz. All right, so I think we're ready to go ahead and go into, since you have nothing else. Yep. Um, ready to go into our rewrites. Which I think this might be a first, because you mentioned earlier that you wrote a story about them all being ghosts. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I figured you would. Um, and yeah, this might be the very first time that our rewrites are the same story or the same theme, and yeah. we'll see how similar they actually are. So since you already kind of teased, teased yours, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Who's he? Asked four voices at once. Looks a bit spooky after all. 
But couldn't we all swim long ago if it was long ago when we were kings and queens in Narnia? So there really is a castle after all? But why should we be ghosts? Asked Lucy. There you go. I thought about using at least three of those lines in the story. <laughs> I did not use any of the lines that you used. Mm. So had the same story idea, but different. Uh, we went different directions with it. Okay, okay. But uh, it, the chapter does lend itself well to this rewrite, apparently. It does. So here is my version. All right. Spooky. <laughs> I've been told all my life said the dwarf, that these woods along the shore were as full of ghosts as they were of trees. The dwarf stared round at all four of them with a very curious expression on his face. I think I'm beginning to understand. In that sense, it really was hundreds of years ago that we lived in Caraparavel. Anyway, he continued, ghosts or not, you've saved my life and I'm extremely obliged to you. Very nice. <laughs> okay, I like it, I like it. <laughs> Yours flows a little more of a story than mine is more just like speculative conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different, uh, these are different approaches to storytelling. Yes, but in our baseless speculation, I feel like both of us went for this ghost idea and our rewrites kind of lends this idea to like, are they actually ghosts? And we kind of touched on this already, but like, Mm -hmm. that's my, that's, that was my big baseless speculation thing that I wanted to bring up and we've already really touched on it, so. Yeah. For the base, baseless speculation, uh, you think the dwarf is a wizard of some kind? I don't think he's a wizard. I I had a few You're different a things. Wizard, Harry. A few different things I was kicking around about who or what the dwarf might be. But so here's here's my thing, right? The dwarf is Aslan. Uh, <laughs> probably not quite. So thirteen hundred years ago, whatever. Um, the kids disappear back to Earth. They leave the power vacuum that exists in Narnia. Mm-hmm. And what what are the facts we know so far? We know that happened. We know they left the thrones empty. That there was no power in Narnia beyond Tumnus, of course. And, you know, we'll get into... And you into, went into that a lot on yeah, the last episode. Yeah, we, we went into that a lot. However, they now know that there is some sort of human power structure in Narnia. No, they don't. There's human soldiers. Yes, there are human soldiers, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we have only had a reference to King Caspian, Prince Caspian, as a Telmarine. Yes, but there are human soldiers. This is baseless speculation. Why are you shooting me down? Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying it's not in the text uh-huh. that Caspian's a human. Okay. He's a Telmarine. Okay. We don't know what that means. Whatever they are. However, we do have human soldiers, so there is a human presence back in Narnia. Where did they come from? We don't ever hear about the Pevensies having any kind of descendants. There's nobody they leave the thrones to. So, obviously, in my opinion, the human rulership of Narnia came in from Arkenland. Or from Calamine. It's possible. So, obviously, the human power structure kind of came in from Arkenland. And originally, this was probably, like, a well-meaning thing, because King Loon is just like, well, I don't know, maybe at that point it's actually... Uh, King Kor. Kor that took over, and King Loon has abdicated the throne. But King Kor is just like, huh, I like those guys. Who knows where they went? But now there's a power vacuum in Narnia, and the whole thing's going to devolve into chaos unless we go in. What if they sent Korin to, to be the king? That's entirely possible. If King Kor couldn't leave, and he was like, I'm going to send my brother. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I that, like that idea. That's possible. And, and what rough and tumble Korin <laughs> just coming well, in and being like... I am I am Sir Corin, Archduke of Narnia. Well, I might have something for that, but I was thinking, you know, think about the naming structure for uh, the men in Arkenland. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have the Dare and the Darren and the Corin, Corin. So we have the tenth in line of King Caspian in the land right now. So my question is, who's Caspi? Caspi's got to be somebody. Mm-hmm. Or Casp, yeah. <laughs> or but... Casp. Uh but apparently, like, this this has been going on for quite some time. If he's the 10th king, or the King Caspian the 10th or whatever, mm-hmm. that's hundreds of years worth of rulership. Absolutely. But I'm assuming, I, I'm just throwing this out there because the name has to be Descendants of Arkenland. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, even though this is a thousand years in the future, there are still echoes of the of the rough and tumble Corrin uh, somewhere in there. Well, I mean, there's a rebellion There's happening. a rebellion. 
And, so if Caspian you know, is a descendant of these Arkenlanders that mm-hmm. you're supposing may have come in. Yeah. I'm just... Maybe he's a direct descendant of Corrin himself. Ooh. So that's my... Maybe that's it's my, just like a miswrite in history books and he's actually Corrin and not Caspian. Mm. The 10th. Okay. Okay. You know, language changes over time. Yeah. Maybe the pronunciation of letters has changed. Mm-hmm. There was a king with a lisp at some uh-huh. point. He's he's Corin, and he's Caspian. <laughs> I think I think you're stretching a little far there. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So there, there's my baseless speculation that doesn't bring up any other franchises or existing uh, <laughs> existing fiction, and it's okay. just entirely in the universe. All right. All right. All right. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. See now when he's when the when Caspian is specifically referred to as Telmarine, and we don't know who, what, when, where are the Telmarines. Mm-hmm. I think that it has the word marine in it, which is seafaring. It might or be sea folk. A sea folk. And that King Caspian, Prince Caspian, might be a descendant of a seafaring folk. He could be a murkritter. He could be a murkritter. <laughs> um, giant, giant crab Caspian. <laughs> God, this would be such a great book if that were true. <laughs> <sighs> Who has come on land to run the old Narnians. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think there's also a very interesting uh, distinction between the old Narnians and mm-hmm. whatever power structure the dwarf is referring to. Mm-hmm. And he says that Caspian's a Telmarine, but he's the king of the old Narnians, so maybe the Telmarine are old Narnians. Maybe he is a talking beast. Maybe he is a human. We don't know. We don't know. Um, the artwork on the front of the book would suggest that he is, in fact, a uh, human based on the fact that there is a hand, human hand holding a sword. Yes. Uh, or at least a crab with horrifying human hands. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. There's some there's some speculation based on what's actually in the text. Exciting. I mean, the next chapter is called The Dwarf Tells of Prince Caspian. So I'm assuming we're going to learn a lot more. Well, I hope so. Well, well, cool. Any other other (laughs) thoughts or? Uh, No, I feel like I'm missing something. And I said I was going to bring something up toward the end of the episode. Um, Authors. Yes. We might have found out who Lewis is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In our baseless speculation about Lewis being an immortal... uh, uh reincarnation or continuing no not reincarnation but a someone who is immortal who has carried different names throughout history yeah um he was dickens before lewis yes dickens then lewis and the third one who is lewis uh so i'm gonna completely say this wrong but oin oin Colfer? well it's an irish name yes you, sh- you have studied Gaelic, you should know. I have, and it's still hard. Um, <laughs> what did you study? Irish Gaelic, yeah. Irish Gaelic. Uh, Oin Colfer is how I would say it, but uh, author of the Artist Miss Fowl series. Uh, he is still alive, uh, age 55 right now, so he's got a ways to go. Okay, but he was, quote, born, unquote, two years after Lewis, quote, died, unquote. And so we think that this is just the new identity that... Yeah. This person took on. Do you think there was an overlapping one so that, like, he could become Oin after, like, he was old enough to look like him? Probably. I don't know. It's it's possible. We'll have to dig deep into that. Um, I mean, we have this Charles Dickens to Lewis yeah. to, to Oin. Yeah. What's the last name? Colfer. Colfer. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, listeners, you can go ahead and look up pictures of this guy. I'm looking at one right now. I mean, if if Lewis had lost a little bit of weight and got a modern haircut and grew a beard out, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Maybe you could see. You could see. I don't something. know. Lewis has really heavy eye bags. Yeah. And he hmm. doesn't there so much. Yeah, he's gotten some sleep in the intervening decades. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's it for our baseless speculation segment. Uh. Would you like to go ahead and take us? But out see, first? Dickens has the eye bags. He does. Yeah. Hmm. And the comb over that could be hiding the bald head yeah. that well, Lewis kind of sported a big for it. We'll see. All right. Anyway. Kristen, take us out. Um, 
Thank you so much for joining us today as we adventured through Chapter 3 of Prince Caspian. Next week we will be discussing Chapter 4, which is titled The Dwarf Tells of Prince Caspian, as Chris kind of teased a little bit earlier, you mm-hmm. know, spoiled, but whatever. Totally. Um, if you're interested in conversating with us in some format, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter. And you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com, your fan art of a pavender fish. I was going to say your... If you can, your fan art, you know, comparing, contrasting the facial features of Dickens, Lewis, and Colfer. Okay. Like, okay. If, you, if, you can, if you can come up with a way to highlight how they're all actually the same person, that's a little bit harder. Yeah. But also. Also. Fish, could do. The, the fish, which one was it called? The pavender. Pavender. It was pavender. a lavender, but with a P at the end. Pavender fish. Got it. Rainbow fish. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that said, never mock a man, save when he is stronger than you, then as you please. And don't use your sword to cut loose your dwarf. (laughs) Um, bye. Bye. least a crab with horrifying human hands. <laughs> Beards and bedsteads. This is baseless speculation. Why are you shooting me down? Okay, okay, okay. I'm just <laughs> saying I'm just saying it's not in the text. Uh-huh. I, you know, I've experienced this uh, on two separate occasions. Can't agree. Have you really? No. Okay. How's that? <laughs> you know, language changes over time. Yeah. Maybe the pronunciation of letters has changed. Mm-hmm. There was a king with a lisp at some uh-huh. point. He's, he's foreign. No, he's Caspian. <laughs> So my question is, who's Caspi? <laughs> <laughs>